Today on Birdland BS, it's episode 57. We got a lot in store. The Ravens Hall of Fame game and training camp updates. How's the bird's nest looking? Two-minute warning. And we the Browns. All this and more. We'll see you soon. thought we'd start the show off like that birdland bs check it out baltimore we're in the building baby that's right it's episode 57 and we're pumped we're we pumped. We the building. <laughs> we in the building. It wasn't a building. It was a stadium, but <laughs> we in the building. <laughs> What's up, everybody? It's Fred and Scott, Birdland BS, episode 57. We're calling this one, Any Dogs in the House? <laughs> Going to get a uh, recap of Ray and his Hall of Fame introduction, his Hall of Fame 33-minute speech. <laughs> Everybody took the over. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure everybody bet the over on that one. Uh, Obviously, there was a game to be played and uh, a lot of notes to come from that. Some things that uh, I liked, some things I didn't like. But uh, again, we say that cautiously as it's uh, week one of a long preseason. (laughs) (laughs) It was it was an interesting week one. Very eventful. We've already got people commenting on YouTube. Just say, just saying to please play all of Ray's speech and uh, be done with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could just be the entire episode. Uh, yeah, we was, really, we really sat here and we had we had a hard time of like how much stuff do we pull out of this this and we had to stop ourselves and just say, look, there's only a few things that we can even bother doing because yeah. we can go all day. Yeah. Look, I, I'll kind of we'll start the show with this, but we'll just kind of hop right into Ray, the whole ceremony his introduction it didn't disappoint you know for for me as far as ray lewis goes i've always been a big ray lewis the player fan um he's greatest linebacker in nfl history arguably greatest nfl defensive player in nfl history arguably depending upon who you're talking to for me i've always appreciated everything that ray's done on the football field even things that he's done in the community but i've off the field, Ray has always been a little obnoxious and a little above and beyond for me. Uh, a little annoying, to say the least. Uh, some of his stuff that, you know, he goes into these, you know, preaches and speeches and halftime. I don't even know what he's talking about or what he's saying and where he's going with it. The man's a motivational speaker. He is. I mean, I mean he's especially on the football field. He's a motivator of men. He was somebody that made players around him better. We've talked about this in previous episodes before, how many players that played alongside of him ended up getting big deals elsewhere that didn't end up working out without having Ray Lewis next to them. Uh, you know, being that general on the field and kind of putting people in the right places and being able to read and react was a gift that uh, that Ray Lewis had. And I don't think in our lifetimes, we'll ever see a player of that magnitude again. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I, I agree with you. There's 
he brought a different level to the game that even you, you, to this day, you talk to some of the Hall of Fame quarterbacks, you know, Tom Brady, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Mm-hmm. Ben Roethlisberger, as much as Ravens fans won't like me saying this, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah, some point. Peyton Manning, Hall of Fame quarterback. Mm-hmm. All three of those guys have been quoted on more than one occasion as saying Ray Lewis is the most intense player they ever played against, and it was the biggest linebacker that they ever feared playing. Yeah. He, like I said, sideline to sideline for the majority of his career, probably the first 12 years of his career, he he was the fastest linebacker, could cover – sideline to sideline like no other. Um, he wasn't a stat stuffer when it came to sacks and things of that nature. I mean, he he is the only player in NFL history with 40 sacks and 30 interceptions. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. But I can even remember going back to uh, the Hard Knocks days and listening to him talk uh, in, in on Hard Knocks and HBO, and he even said, he was talking to Ed Reed, he was talking to Terrell Suggs, sacks aren't a thing for him. He just likes making plays, and he likes making the big hits, and that's that was Ray's career. I mean, he he made big plays when they mattered the most. Uh, you know, even going down to his last play, you know, his last game, you know, he he was coming off of. And he mentioned in his speech what was a career-ending, possibly yeah. injury, because you know if if he really did separate that muscle from from the elbow, not too many people can come back from that. Uh, and he was able to do that in, a, in an important playoff run uh, and come out on top with a Super Bowl. It's it's something that movies are made of, something that books are made of. You know, he's oh, had. Yeah. I'm sure quite, at some point there will be a movie. Right. Quite quite the NFL career. Again, say what you want to say about, Ed, or, you know, about him off the field. Uh, you know, some of the things that have happened in his life, you know, as far as the Atlanta situation. We all know that. I'm not going to get into that because everybody has their own opinions on that. Um you know, and again, with some of the nonsense and yelling in garages with no walls and you know, just things that he goes above and beyond with that uh, are tend to be a little annoying. His Hall of Fame speech, let him have his time. That was about that. That's him. You know, oh, yeah. that, that's that's all about him uh, thanking everybody that's come through and passed through his life. And he, he didn't disappoint in that. I mean, I think he went through everybody and anybody that's, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you said it, the, the ones right before actually he goes through with the, with J O and yelling Baltimore and having J O come up and doing the dance. I thought it was really great. You pull up, you, you talk to him, you know, show a mother and you talk about a mother that was a college kid that didn't, didn't make it through college, passed away. And then Steve McNair's mother, Right. I thought that was great to, to, to step out and put the spotlight on somebody else, yep. you know, to to then ask all the players, the, the current, former, you know, anybody involved in the Ravens organization that was there today, stand up. Yeah, and he even had um, one of his former college roommates, mothers there that um, unfortunately had passed as yeah, well. Yeah, that's the one I was talking yeah, about. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah so uh... he made it – he made – that speech, while it was about him, he also made it about everybody else. The right. people that affected his life. Uh, you know, we were we were joking around about the the kid, the part with his kids where he he sits there and says, you know, that's okay. I open mouth kiss my kids. <laughs> yeah, no, not me, daddy. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it, it was quite interesting. You know, he he peeled it back a little bit after that, which was pretty funny. But you know, in classic Ray form, there's there's comedy to it, there's seriousness to it, and he's. 
He is. That's why he's such a motivational speaker, because he can deliver a speech Absolutely. You know, very well. Um, now, one thing I, th- I think you, you and I had kind of talked about, you really brought it up, was there was actually somebody that gave a speech that had a little bit more gospelness. <laughs> yeah, it's a good word. Than than Ray's was. I was expecting like you to for Ray's to be very gospely and and, and nothing wrong with that by any means. That's Ray. That's who, yeah. what we've known as Ray. But Randy Moss. Yeah. <laughs> he I'm, took it to another level. Yeah, he he really did. Um something I've never really heard from Randy Moss. You know, Randy Moss coming out of college was this, you know, they, they labeled him as this like street thug type kid, you know, that's got off the field issues. And can he stay, you know, can he stay clean and have a good NFL career? That's why he dropped down the draft board was because he had character issues and things of that nature. And, uh, you know, Denny Green and the, and the Vikings took a chance on a young kid. And obviously he, he uh, made them pretty happy uh, for a long time in Minnesota uh, to end up being a, an NFL Hall of Famer is, is, is to is just to go speak, you know, of what kind of career this guy had. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, the the Randy Moss that I grew up watching and was not the Randy Moss that we saw that we saw give this speech. He was a changed uh, man on that stage. Yeah. Uh, but speaking <laughs> speaking of not being the Randy Moss that I, I, you know, there were some things going around on on social networking and Twitter about the busts. And I got to bring this up because there were some people out there talking about Randy Moss's bust, but more specifically Ray's bust. And I was, I was right there with you when I was watching it live. Um, Randy Moss to me looked like a young Randy Moss. I didn't, I didn't have, I thought Randy Moss, they look exactly like Randy Moss. They when yeah, he was younger. He had his cornrows. It, it, Everything. Looked, it looked a lot like Randy, but for whatever reason, people on social media just didn't see that. But Ray, I think everybody kind of had the same opinion when they first saw Ray. Like, who is this guy? I mean, people out there throwing, you know, Marlon Wayans and some other people. It just somebody said the old, the guy from the old Spice commercials. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not Terry Crews, but the other guy, the original guy. Yeah, right. And, and it did. It, it looked pretty bad. But I think a lot of that had to do with lighting and camera angles. Because if if you went and actually Google search. Yeah, the, you showed me this the picture. Image, and you look at a couple other pictures from different angles. It looks like a young Ray. The only thing it's missing is it's missing that kind of like chin, chin strap. strap, you know, that connects the goatee because it just had the goatee. Uh, but either, either way, uh, a, a really, really cool thing to watch. Um, you know, like you mentioned, Jonathan Ogden coming up on stage with him and, and doing his dance, which during the live feed, they did not catch. You had to go back and watch it. But. Still, either way, if you haven't seen it yet, you should Google search that. It's pretty cool to see. Yeah. Uh, no, is it, you bring up the, just a, one more thing on the bus. I don't yeah. know if you saw the E60 on the bus. I didn't watch it. I saw the previews to it. I didn't watch the whole thing. So I watched the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do. They basically it was surrounding Randy Moss's bus and the, the process in which it went through and which it took. Uh, it was actually quite interesting. The the one photo that the guy was like, he was joking around with Randy, but he's like, maybe we should use this one. And he hands him a photo when Randy had that big afro. <laughs> and Randy's like, he really wants me to have a bust like this. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so he's like, I, I think the conversation kind of went with, you know, well, you had some, you had a little bit more hair. I think we could incorporate that. And then they started kind of picking out the pictures. And then, you know, okay, it was, he wanted, he liked the, how his mouth looked in this picture and how his hair looked in this picture. So it's just it's really cool to actually see the combination. How it, I wish they would have done a full thing on each player. Right. To be honest, I think that would have been amazing. I think it would have been great. Spe- speaking of hair, 
where did where did the hair come from on Brian Urlacher's head? <laughs> where did that come from? I is, thought is he, he was I thought he was a bald dude this whole time. Right. Whole is, is he like an advocate for uh, you know what is that Rogaine, Rogaine, or uh, the hair club hair transplant? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know where that hair came from, but I was pleasantly surprised that his bust was bald as it should be. Uh, his came out looking pretty good, but uh, yeah, it was it was a really cool night uh, for me. I'm not one that usually watches the whole Hall of Fame thing. Um, if there's a player of interest, I'll watch it. You know, obviously when Jonathan Ogden got in, I did watch that. Uh, next year, uh, pretty Reed. pretty certain uh, we're gonna have another Raven getting into the Hall of Fame, and and that's a pretty pretty cool class of uh, players that could be getting into it next year. Uh, again, another interesting year to watch because a lot of good players that are come eligible this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, we were talking about the the class coming up, and it's definitely going to be an interesting class to see who all gets in. Um, I think we all can agree Ed Reed on that list is a, a no-doubt or no-brainer. Right. Um, it's There are some question marks elsewhere. Yeah. He's probably the only true first ballot guy that's that's gonna have a have a true shot, right? Um, but I, I think overall the the one thing that I that I thought was interesting throughout the the whole j- just bringing up Ray and you know talking about Ed Reed that stadium when Ray had everybody stand up, yeah, they panned the camera to Ed, and that stadium just went berserk yeah. with Reed. Yeah, they. It Baltimore, gave me chills knowing that that's going to be next year. Yeah, Baltimore showed out, man. They they really did. They, wow. they a lot of lot of Ravens fans there in the Hall of Fame, and you could really hear it. Um, the difference in, in the uh, the ovation that that Ray got versus everybody else. I mean, now now one speech that kind of tugged at the heartstrings for me personally, uh, Brian Dawkins from Philly. Uh, Philly did have a lot of fans there. Uh, Brian Dawkins uh, had no idea. Uh, it had some personal battles with depression and uh, even to the point where he had, you know, suicidal thoughts had planned out his, his suicide things that, yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty serious deep um, that pulls us some heartstrings with me because I can kind of relate. I've had some issues in my past and things that I've gotten through and all that. Um, but it, it brings up an interesting topic for us to talk about on another episode and, and kind of get into the depths of, what I mean, Steve Smith even came out today Within the past 24 hours yeah, uh, with an article and his struggles with depression. Um, you know, there's been a lot of ties to CTE and its effects with depression. Obviously, Junior Seau and, you know, he ended up committing suicide and they found that he had one of the worst cases of CTE that they've ever seen. Um, so. What I'd like to talk to you about at some point on another future episode, and we'll get into it, would be where do we draw the lines with safety in this game? And, yeah. and when when is making it too safe bad for the game? And then, you know, kind of looking at it from the, you know what you signed up for. You know that it's a violent sport. You know that there's, you know, possible repercussions from it and, and long-term effects from it. But you're making a you know a decent salary, so something we'll definitely get into. Yeah, uh, I've got, I've got my episodes. opinions on that on that on all that stuff as well. Did you did you get a chance to listen to the Brian Dawkins? So yeah, speech? I did. I did. I did get a chance. Um, for me, I, I'm not going to give away because I, I definitely want to have that conversation, uh, and I, I also want to, people to tune in to to hear because I know just how you're talking. Mm-hmm. We have differing opinions because, in my opinion, there's a lot of other factors and one main factor that's a 
fair commonality mm-hmm. between all those involved with the CTE who have also had depression. Um, that I'll just leave it at this. My opinion, CTE is not the only factor. And I'll leave it at that. I think it's an open discussion you and yeah. I can definitely have. I'd love to have that. Yeah, we definitely would... something that we will set some time aside and make a, a, an, an entire segment out of in a future episode because we could go on with that yeah, and go and, back and, and forth with it for a while. We would love to hear our, our fans' ep- our, our fans, you know, thoughts on this episode and what you want. So if you have a chance, you know, whether it be tonight, tomorrow, whenever you listen to this, send us a message, uh, whether it's on Facebook, Twitter, send us a comment on YouTube, tell us what you think. And we are, we're going to include some of those when we actually have that episode and we have that segment, we are going to include some of your thoughts and call you guys out by, you know, by name and, or, or by handle and, and kind of share what you guys think about the whole, the whole, uh, situation with CTE and making the game safe and stuff like that. So send us a message, private message, direct message, um, you know, whatever on Twitter, Facebook, um, whichever way you want to go. So, with that being said, the one thing I thought we talked about was Ravens players mm-hmm. being there, being nice to stand up. There were a lot of Ravens players that went to the actual ceremony. Yeah. And one that, that kind of stood out was Lamar's comments on the ceremony and w- mentioning that he wishes he could have played and yeah, suited I, up with Ray. For him, I think with part of his comments was it was just cool for him, you know, he, he watched – Ray growing up as a fan and as a kid and then to actually see him do the dance right in front of him, you know, the, just the motivation behind it. You could see that he got pumped and he got right. amped for it. And he even said it in his interview that he wished he could have suited up and played with him. But uh, obviously Ray wasn't suiting up and playing that day, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was definitely, definitely cool to see uh, him come out on the field. Obviously um, the Ravens had a game that day, uh, that day, that Thursday against the, uh, the bears and were able to win that game. Uh, 17 to 16. Um, Flacco's in the house, by the way. Flacco is in the house. Flacco Santiago is joining us on YouTube. Nice. <laughs> I like it. So he says, what's up? And we've got uh, Wisconsin Cheese has already... Ooh, I can't even give that away. He knows what one of the stories is about already. He already knows. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I guess let's let's dive a little bit into the game itself. Um, Sloppy game. Yeah, it, it was kind of what we expected. Uh, you know, it, it's the first game. Could you even call that a game, by the way? Like, I, I'm sorry, I don't. If you if you people disagree out there, like, really, was that really even a game? No, I mean preseason. <laughs> it's just about trying to work through the kinks, and there was a hell of a lot of kinks that they need to work through. Um, you know, there were some obviously some key things that you know we we all kind of wanted to hone in on, and we all kind of wanted to see, and we all got excited for, and. You know, it's no secret to it. Obviously, the quarterback position was something that I think everybody was watching. Yep. Um, and for me, RG3 played great. Uh, he was 7 of 11 for 58 yards. He had a touchdown and an interception, which the interception, not RG3's fault. Uh, that would be a one Brashad Perryman and his fault. That ball literally went right through his hands. Dude, I saw that. I literally, my <sighs> wife, my son was asleep and I saw that and I yelled and my wife just looked at me and goes, isn't it just preseason? I said, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> like she doesn't watch football all that well, all that much, but she was just like, what, what, what? If he makes that catch, Prashad makes that catch, RG3's QBR is 120 for the game. 
changes the entire statistical stats of of what RG three put up and that day. This is exactly why you can't why you can't look at preseason too hard on some guys, right? But you have to look at them on hard on others. I'm yeah. sorry, Brashad Perryman. He's we've talked about it before. He's gonna make the roster. You already gave this guy a six hundred fifty thousand dollars signing bonus or roster bonus. There ain't no way this guy's not making the roster. I, I'll be surprised. I will be surprised if he if he is not on the roster week one. I'm gonna be sorely disappointed if he's on this roster week one. I don't care if they paid that six hundred thousand. Like I said, that's six hundred thousand dollars to them. It should be a drop in the bucket. It's, it's a drop in the bucket. It's chump change. Um, I think it was just to extend a little bit more time to look at him to see if he can kind of redeem himself. He's had a couple of good camp practices lately, but I mean, it, again, it's it's like when the lights come on, this guy is a deer in headlights. Uh, totally different in game action than he is in practice. His hands uh, are made of rubber. Everything just bounces off. Yeah, it, it was pretty sad. But yeah, getting back to RG three, I thought RG three looked good. Uh, he had pretty good control of the offense. He he looked like. RG three of the past, you know, was able to kind of get out of the pocket a little bit, which he had to do quite often because the offensive line was was pretty bad. Uh, that was consistent across the board for the entire game with the offensive line play. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he was he was able to get out of the pockets. He didn't take any big hits or anything like that, and he was able to get out of bounds, which you could tell was uh, a step in the right direction with him. He's matured some. He, he knows- tried to stay in the pocket as long as he could. That was the thing about him that you really needed was you needed him to stay in the pocket a little bit more and start that process of learning when to run. the The problem is, is we have a quarterback in front of him that doesn't know how to do that himself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, hopefully this year. That changes a little bit, you know, being, being healthy. I, I, what I saw in training camp, he's definitely a little bit more mobile. Uh, but the, the guy, the guy, the hour, the guy, the game, the guy everybody wanted to really watch for Lamar Jackson, a um, little underwhelming. Um, here, here's the thing for me. I wanted to see that he could control the huddle. I wanted to see that he could he could get plays off without, you know, any kind of hitches or any kind of problems. And if he could do that, that's step one. Because that was his biggest learning curve coming into the NFL right. was calling the plays. You know, it's something he didn't do a whole lot of in college, and the the learning curve going to the NFL versus what you're asked to do in college is, is a big difference. Well, f- depending upon where you go, for him too. You know, in college, he's 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 going into the huddle, going, "I'm running the ball, guys." Well, I'm yeah. running the ball, guys. Yeah, I'm running the ball. <laughs> and it, it didn't look like it changed much in preseason game number one because I mean the first play he took off and yeah. it didn't take him but a half a second, of, you know, in his drop back to decide that. Um, I question if they just let him let him go the first play. Look here, you, you tell us what you see and you do it just to, just to see what he do. Right. Does he does he revert? And he did. He reverted. Everybody knew he's gonna he's gonna revert in that situation. Yeah. So he ended up going four ten for thirty three yards. He did have the one touchdown to Hayden Hurst. That was nice. Uh, it was a good. It was a good pass. Yeah, it's a good pass. Threaded the needle pretty well. He had a couple. He had a couple of good passes, and he had a couple of off the mark passes. Again, he's a rookie, still learning. Um, I did like what I saw out of Hayden Hurst. I think oh, yeah. Hayden Hurst. I called him Triple H. Hayden Hayden Hands Hurst uh, for those WWE followers out there. <laughs> he's got some hands. Uh, so everything that he he lived up to in college, we're we're seeing here. You know, in the first week, and what we've seen. At a training camp today uh, was a pretty impressive Hayden Hurst. Made quite a few catches during practice today uh, against the Rams. So I'm liking what I'm seeing out of Hayden Hurst. Um, 
were you anything about Lamar's performance that kind of stood out or anything that he was really uncomfortable with the three-step drop. You mentioned it yeah. in when you went to training camp, but it was real prevalent. He couldn't his three-step drop. I, I was waiting for the, for the announcers to kind of get all over him with it because his three-step drop was literally five and a half steps. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's something that he's just got to work on, and he's got to let the pocket kind of develop around him now to his credit. Like I said, the offensive line was full of nobodies and people that probably won't make the roster. Uh, so, I mean, he had pressure on him all game, pretty much on every play, Yeah, uh, which hopefully won't be the case once the O-line's coming back fully healthy, which – you know, we talked about last episode, Marshall Yonda is coming back to practice and he's been practicing the past couple of days. He's, you know, going to be ready Looking for on the up and up. Yeah. I don't yeah. think they're going to use him much in the preseason, but no. he'll be ready week one. I'd which be is, pissed if they're using him, in the, if they start using him in the preseason. You yeah. can't, you can't risk an injury with him again. No. Speaking of pressure, by the way, Correa, you, you said it perfect. He yeah. played out of his daggone mind during yeah. that game. This guy, this guy I've been hard on his entire career. Um, but again, Somebody who was an outside linebacker in college, drafted as an outside linebacker and then moved inside, wasn't given a fair shot, you know, wasn't was playing out of position. And for some players, they, they can make that transition from one spot to another. We've talked about that before, and, and, and it ends up working out. Uh, but for Kamala Correa, it didn't. Uh, and this year, I thought he's going to have to dominate in preseason to save his roster spot because I thought he was playing for his job. Yeah. No. And man, uh, I think he had three sacks, it's six tackles. Six, yeah. I was going to say six tackles, one interception. Yeah. And he had a forced fumble as well. It's, it's definitely his best NFL game that he's ever had. And granted it's just a preseason, but either way, it's a step you in could the right tell direction. He was head and heels above some of these other guys that were out there. Uh, so it was good to see because that's something that, uh, again, I've been very, very hard on him uh, throughout his career. So good to see him progressing. Yeah. Um, now we mentioned we mentioned Perryman, you know, as far as the wide receiver and tight mm-hmm. end. We have already mentioned Perryman. We mentioned Hayden Hurst with th- three catches, 17 yards, one TD. The other guy that you have been watching very closely, Tim White. What did you see out of Tim White during that game? Yeah, so for Tim White, yeah, so for um, Tim White, um, I liked what I saw at the wide receiver position. In the return game, he made he made all the catches. He made all the catches he was supposed to make, but he he made a judgment call on a punt return where, to me, he should have ran up on it, fair caught it, and kept the field position where it was. But he ended up letting the ball hit. Uh, and it and it went back another 20, 25 yards. That was the only thing that I kind of questioned his judgment on. Uh, but from the wide receiver standpoint, he was open on many a plays, on many occasions. Anything that was thrown his way, he caught. Um, and again, in the return game, he didn't he didn't really make any muffs or anything like that. I just didn't see the explosion out of him that I expected to see. Some of the some of the breakaway speed that I've seen in training camp. I didn't get a chance to see, and that could have just been, you know, the coverage situation, you know, as far as on the returns and things of that nature. But uh, I, I definitely like what I'm seeing from him, uh, and hopefully that continues to grow week in and week out. Do you think maybe a little bit of that is them having kind of pulling him back, knowing that he's right now your main 
kick returner. Well, let's not forget Chris Moore. Chris Moore is going to be probably your kickoff returner. Um, I, I could see Tim White, if he makes a team, probably fielding punts, uh, which is why I was so critical on his decision to let the one bounce, bounce the way it right. did. Um, now, granted, I mean, they, they may flip-flop some roles with, with Chris Moore and, and Tim White, but uh, if, if he's really going to solidify his spot on this team – Again, you know, it all depends on how much how many wide receivers this team decides to carry. He's got to perform on special teams. He has to. And it can't be a Brashad Perryman type situation where he's lightning in practice, but then when the game lights come on, he kind of clams up. Not comparing him to Brashad Perryman in any kind of way. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that You can't have another one of it those. It was an okay game. It was an okay game. No big mistakes or anything like that. He needs to make a play or two in the next couple of games to really put himself solidified into the onto the roster. Right. Now, we did get a question on YouTube that's asking, uh, what do you think we actually do with Perryman? What is the what is the final answer on what do, what do you do? You cut him. I mean, they, there's been a lot of talk uh, about, you know, trying to salvage him with special teams, but he's never played special teams in his life. So, you know, that that would be an, a total new learning curve for him. Um, and then at that point, do you want to give a roster spot to somebody who only who only benefits you right on special teams? He's not a specialist. You know, back in the day, we carried somebody like Brendan Ayabadejo. You know, because he was a perennial pro bowler on the special teams. He helped a little bit in the linebacker core as well, but he his prowess was special teams. Right. You're not going to get that out of Rashad Perryman. No, no, so no way. Your 53 spots are crucial. And I just, I don't personally, I can't see where he fits on this roster, uh, especially with some of the, the talent and some of the draft picks that we have at the wide receiver position that are starting to outshine. Rashad Perryman, which really isn't that hard these days. At this point, you have to, you have to give you have to give him the full shot. Right. Um, and James, James chimes in and said he said Hurst looked good against the Rams. Yeah, no, that's that's we're going to get into that in a little bit. We're going to break down some of what we've seen at training camp. But yeah, Hurst had a huge day uh, today at training camp. Made a few diving catches, some good grabs. Like I said, that guy's got some some really really good hands. I'm loving what I'm seeing out of Hurst and, and Talib and Crabtree. We're on their best behavior so yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. It got it, there was some uh, some some heated exchanges today. First day of practice seemed to go well, well. Uh, but there was some heated exchange. Like I said, we'll kind of get into that a little bit. Let's finish up with uh, breaking down this Hall of Fame game. I think the next thing I, I kind of want to look at was we talked about it a little bit the offensive line. Um, Zeus looked good. Zeus Zeus looked good. He in my opinion, will absolutely no questions be the starting right tackle. And consider this guy's never played the right side of the offensive line in his career. You know, in college, he was a left tackle. Uh, his footwork wasn't bad. Needs some improvement, but wasn't bad. Um, it's doable. Right. And and I think one of the things that <clears throat> a lot of people were concerned about with his combine results was his 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 lack of upper body strength from the bench press standpoint. But this guy is so thick in the lower end that if he can just keep his arms extended, which is what he did really, really well, it doesn't matter how much upper strength, chest strength he has. He keeps people in front of him. You got a strong base. Right. That's and all it takes. Exactly. And he does. And 
the statistics in college at Oklahoma speak to that. I mean, he only let up one sack of Baker Mayfield last year. So this guy can do it. He's got to learn it on the right side. He's got to learn the, the, the difference, you know, in the techniques with that. But considering that was his first game and he played, I want to say about 80% of the snaps, he had a great game. Um, but the rest of the offensive line scares me. Uh, the depth of the offensive line scares me. You know, last year, we the offensive line was riddled with injuries. Yeah. We had a ton of injuries. Couldn't get um, away from them. Yeah, no, you couldn't. And somehow, we were able to save grace with the, the depth of offensive line that we had. Uh, we lost some pieces this year. Uh, mainly at the center position with with Ryan Jensen moving on to Tampa Bay. So now we've got a couple of guys in Skura and Lewis who they're trying to figure out it's going to replace Jensen at center. Um, Don't it's, dude, I, Skura kind of like scared the living crap out of me at center. Yeah. He looked – I don't know whether he looked uncomfortable or what it was. Yeah. But he was coming up and like it was like, huh? Yeah. Right. Yeah, he wasn't chipping like he was supposed to. You could tell he just he looked out of sorts. Yeah. Um, you know. Oh, absolutely. And 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 again, it's still early in preseason, so you take this with a grain of salt. But I am worried about the offensive line depth. You know, this this has a potential of being a very very good offensive line. But when you read tweets online, like I did today, that uh, Ronnie Stanley was pulled out of practice and walked away for a little while. And you start, you, you, your heart skips a beat for a minute. Cause if you lose Rodney Stanley, Oh my God, this whole offensive line changes yeah. totally. Fortunately, he did come back to practice within a few minutes after that and then ended up finishing out 11 on 11. So looks like everything's okay with Ronnie Stanley, but that worries me. That worries me because that just, that, that can totally change the dynamics of the running game. If you lose one or two offensive linemen, and this team just can't afford to do that, no, you can't. I mean, you had what three main guys that were that weren't playing in that game, right? But at the same time, you can't have more than one or two of those guys at at the absolute max go out because if that happens, this O line's breaking down. Yeah, even if it's just for just for one time down the field. Right. That's all it's going to take. Yep. Absolutely. And that's going to swing the momentum of a game. Your O-line has to be able to protect them. And and you can't be having, if the O-line doesn't protect your quarterback, if RG3's in there because Joe's gotten hurt because they couldn't protect him, mm-hmm. and you got to have him scramble, and he gets hurt because we know how his past and his, his history. Right. Now you have to use Lamar. Right. While... I'm sure Ravens fans are, you know, some Ravens fans out there are going to be clamoring for that. You have to look at it and say, this O-line makes or breaks your season at this point. Absolutely. Period. Absolutely. And speaking of depth, and one of the things that this game kind of opened my eyes to a little bit more is the running back depth. I've been high on this running back core between Collins and Buck Allen. I think they're a good, a really good one-two punch combo. The potential of maybe a top 10 running game this year. I love Collins and I love Buck Allen. I really didn't think losing Terrence West was going to be that big of an ordeal to this team because we're getting Kenneth Dixon back and Kenneth Dixon can kind of take, you know, 
Terrence West spot. Um, and then maybe we'll have some backs behind him. Did you hear about Dixon, by the way? That's where I'm going. Yeah. So, unfortunately, I don't know why I've been so high on Kenneth Dixon since his draft day because he just cannot stay healthy. He cannot stay on the field. Um, you know, coming off the big injury last year to his knee, he comes into training camp out of shape. He, you know, with within one or two practices, he's back on the shelf again, comes back to practice, and then he's carted off again, not carted off, but taken off the field again today. The depth at running back concerns me. Now, the Ravens do have $9 million roughly in cap room. Um, so they have the ability to possibly sign a veteran backup running back to bring in that depth. And I think they're going to have to. I mean, in this game, we ended up seeing a couple of the undrafted guys play um, in Edwards and Thompson. Edwards had, you know, some flashes. He had a couple of decent runs and whatnot. I just don't know enough about them. Uh, there's a reason that they weren't drafted. Um, not to say that undrafted guys can't make this roster. The Ravens have a very good history of picking up gems undrafted. Yeah. We all know that. Uh, but you're one injury away from Collins and or Buck Allen being super, super thin at the running back position. Yeah, no, you are. I mean, it's if Dixon's truly down and you have Collins go down, I like Buck Allen. Buck, Buck Allen can't carry this team. He's not an every damn back. He's not no. an every down back. He is a good mm-hmm. change of pace type back. Um, he has decent hands. He's able to catch out of the backfield pretty nice. He knows he knows the offense well. He fits well in the offense, but he's not a three down back. And you can't no. rely on him to be there for all three downs. No, he's not a three down back. He's a third down back. He right. can drive up the center pretty hard, and he can get you know he, he can get through those holes. But that's about all he can do. And no, no offense to him by any means. It's just not his forte. He is not a Collins. He's not a shifty running back that can break off for a twenty or thirty yard run. It's just not going to happen with him. Right. Uh, but I, I think you're right. You have to. The question is, is where do you go? Do you? At some point, you have to step aside and say, we need to make this this team better. Right. Do you go out and get an offensive lineman and trade you know, trade for a veteran offensive lineman to be able to you know, increase your chances of protecting your quarterback and your running backs? Or do you have to go out and get a running back? Well, the Ravens are always good at kind of scouring the free agent market, and you'll probably see – I wouldn't doubt you see the Ravens add a little bit of offensive line depth and a little bit of running back depth once we get to cut time. Once the roster start roster cuts start happening and the rosters start to thin out and some of these players start coming off, you'll see the Ravens make a few moves. Right. Uh, and and those are the two biggest concerns for me right now as far as depth on this on this roster. Offensive line and running back. Yeah, no, absolutely. I tell you, it, one that we we've never had to worry about. I, I was impressed. I know you were the kicker slash punter. Oh my god! Yeah, this kid. If Car- he if he doesn't have a job somewhere, what is it? I think it's Kare Vitovic. Yeah, Vitovic. This kid. Wow, to be able to do both and do them well. I mean, everything I've heard about this kid. Unfortunately, when I was at camp, I didn't get a chance to see him kicking. Uh, but I mean, he he had a 92 yard punt in college. He's kicking 70 yard field goals at a whim. Him and, and Tucker have been kind of having you know personal battles for fun for fun at camp. Um, this kid, you know, he's he's kind of 
I think he came from Norwegian, um, a Norwegian soccer team, if I'm not mistaken, uh, converted to football at the University of Marshall. So he's still new to American football. Uh, but man, this guy's got a hell of a leg on him for sure. Yeah, no, he can he can kick the ball as far as he wants to, basically, uh, with little what seemed to be little effort right. on his end. He had a nice punt putting it inside, and they almost screwed it up, you know, booting it into the end zone. But they they were able to down it, I think, at the two. Yeah. But it was a pretty impressive punt from a rookie kicker that comes from soccer. Right. You know, there there are a lot of guys that come from that background. It reminds me of the movie The Replacements, right? Where you go out and you get this guy, and all of a sudden, you know, he's he he's the next best thing. But at the same time, that's a guy we and you and I talked about it. That's a guy that can maybe become trade bait. Maybe. Uh, I think more likely you'll probably see a, a Will Lutz type situation, like what uh, what was on um, with with the Ravens. They brought in Will Lutz, I think it was last year or the year before, um, and he ended up not making the team, obviously, because we had Tucker, we had, we had Koch. So he ended up signing with the Saints, and he's had a, a, a really good start to his career with the Saints. We'll see the same thing with this guy. It's just what direction do you go with this guy? Do you bring him in as a kicker? Do you bring him in as a punter? Does a team really take the risk at using one person to do both? Because then if an injury, you know, I mean, it does create an extra roster spot to fill up some depth. Um, but yeah, that would be quite interesting to see what happens there. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how they're going to go with this, uh, but I mean, to kind of get what we were saying, you know, the, the Rams practice with, or practice with the Rams is is really underway at this point. Um, there's a few notes that everybody's kind of pointing at. And the O line is definitely not holding up well. We, you know, we, we've kind of we kind of mentioned that. So that's something that's that's of great concern. What what have you heard? What have you seen when it comes to the O line? Well, uh, as far as the O line goes, yeah, it's it's kind of been the same thing that we're seeing in we saw in the, in in the game. Uh, you know, we're seeing some good progress from from Orlando Brown at right tackle. Uh, you know, Marshall Yonda's just kind of now getting back into the mix of things. So it's too early to really judge on what we saw there. But one thing to note about Marshall Yonda that uh, I was not aware of was apparently he had some shoulder issues that doctors basically said he could play with it um, or he could have surgery just to correct it and then, you know, not have to worry about it. And he had heard it lifting weights, decided to get that corrected and ended up having off season surgery. So that's, that was another reason that he kind of got off to a slow start with training camp. It wasn't ready day one. It wasn't so much as ankle. It was the off season surgery that we weren't aware of. Right. So that's one thing with him. Um, the center position kind of worries me. Uh, I think personally, I, I think Alex Lewis is the better fit there, but then that puts us thin at left guard. Alex Lewis is, is a good left guard at least in a little bit of time that we got to see him, you know, last year at left guard. Uh, but just in the little bit of time that I saw at training camp, he performed better at the center position than Skura, which really is saying a whole lot because Skura hasn't looked very good, uh, you know, at, at the center position. Right. So I think Skura is a good situational, you know, get a breather type of guy, bring him in. I, I, I really don't want to see him as an everyday starter. Um, I'm hoping, like I said, as roster cuts start happening and things of that nature, the Ravens bring a veteran in that can, you know, fill in on the offensive line, bring in 
a Matt Burke type thing to fill in at center like we did late when we signed Matt Burke years ago. Right. Uh, you just never know who's going to come available. And the Ravens could have their eye on a couple of guys that maybe they have some insight on uh, might not make rosters. So yeah. that's potential. I think one of the the biggest things that's kind of I haven't found a whole lot of news on it yet, and it's kind of worried me is the fact that Tony Jefferson has missed six out of 11 or six out of the last seven training camp practices with a hamstring issue. Um, I saw him have an interview today where he's chopping at the bit to get back out there. He's kind of downplaying it as nothing serious. He thinks he's ready. The trainers don't think he's ready. They think it's too early, that type of thing. Right. Um, the one, I guess, silver lining with that is we've got to see a little bit more of Chuck Clark uh, fill in for Tony Jefferson. And, and Chuck Clark's done pretty well. Um, hasn't looked you know, out of place and, and, and has covered pretty well. So I like what I'm seeing out of Chuck Clark. Um, well, you had Acklin was, was released. Yeah, Acklin was released. And Darren Waller came off of his one-year suspension and was reinstated by the NFL today. I just don't see a roster spot for this guy. Um, you know, once wide receiver out of Georgia Tech, uh, really wasn't used a whole lot in Georgia Tech either because they were a run-first offense when he was there. He was a project wide receiver that the Ravens drafted. He has all the intangibles. He's a tall guy. He's got good speed. He's got good well, – I'm not going to say he's got good hands. His hands actually are pretty bad. Um but he was a raw, a raw talent guy. Good speed, good, you know, good size, that kind of thing. Good athleticism. Didn't work at the wide receiver position. So they tried to save grace and put on a few pounds and put him at tight end. Put him at tight end uh, when the Ravens were a little thin at the tight end position. But now you've got the likes of Max Williams, Boyle. Now you've got two rookies uh, that you who drafted this good. year who are looking good. You even got an undrafted guy in Nick Kaiser who I've seen at training camp and has looked really good at training camp so far. You've got five guys, in my opinion, that are ahead of Waller. Now, the one thing about Waller is he was pretty good on special teams. Um, so that's the one added plus, and I think that might be the only reason that he's even considered a shot at making this roster. I just don't see him fitting on the 53. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's going to be the case either but i do think it becomes another if he's if he shows well in the rest of the preseason or you know in the next few sessions of the preseason i think it's another guy that could wind up being a, a piece of trade bait for the ravens to be able to go out and get a tool that they need or that you know that they need to create depth in a certain area and i think that's that's going to be the biggest thing is some of these guys that aren't going to be able to make it and that we're so there there's no way that we're carrying you know six tight ends deep oh no I mean, no the no max way. that we carry is four tight ends i just can't see them carrying anymore exactly but some of these guys are are ready to be you know a number a number three a number four in in the nfl right. it's just on the ravens sorry dude you're not number three number four you're number five number six right so it's a huge difference, and that's that's really what I think it comes down to is these guys just aren't going to make the Ravens roster, but I do think you make it debatable and, and make it a, something that you can utilize them as trade bait to get the tools that you need. Right, and, and speaking a little bit more about the, the rookie tight ends that we got, 
we haven't really talked a whole lot about Mark Andrews, uh, the rookie tight end out of Oklahoma, um, who was rated as one of the best pass catching tight ends coming out of this draft. Uh, reason we haven't talked a whole lot about him is because we haven't seen a whole lot out of him. He's been injured and hasn't been practicing, uh, but he did come back to practice the other day. Um, and he was, he has been active for the two practices with the Rams being in town and made some some good contested catches over the middle today. Um, needs some some work on, on on learning the system, but it's again it's still early uh, in his developments. So that that's come to be expected for a rookie. But a uh, lot of lot of people liking what they've seen so far in the little sample size that we've seen of Mark Andrews. It'll be it'll be interesting to see if he actually gets in some game time. Uh, this week, I don't, I don't know if they'll play him Thursday or not, just because he's so kind of behind the the eight ball. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. Um, I think the other thing coming out of, that we've heard out of, out of training camp, uh, and specifically these last two days with the Rams being in town, Raven quarterbacks are being a little aggressive throwing over the middle, and. If you're going to do this kind of thing, practice is the time to do it. You know, this is where, you, you know, you want to work through the kinks and, and work through the stuff. But according to Jameson, Jameson Hensley, uh, the Ravens were super aggressive over the middle, trying to fit balls into windows and things of that nature. And it's not just a Flacco thing. It's not just a Lamar thing. It was consistent across the board with all quarterbacks. So you can see that this is going to be a big part of the offense. Right. Which is. In my in my opinion, works well for Flacco because Flacco's always done well over the middle to a tight end. That's that's always his kind of bread and butter, and that's always been his you know his go to target. Yeah. Um, so if they're going to be involving them more, I like that. Um, just sometimes being over aggressive can turn into turnovers and things of that nature. So you just got to be smart. Yeah, smart you have to play smart it. football. You can't be going and you, you can't be throwing these these balls into windows that are so tight that you're going to get these these new brand new tight ends, you know, tight end weapons that are looking pretty daggone good. Yeah. You can't put them in positions that that jeopardize your season or their careers. Right. Wide receivers talking about the trio that we that we brought in this year of Michael Crabtree, John Brown and Willie Sneed. Crabtree, to me, from what I've seen, has kind of been as advertised. He's been the, you know, the pass catcher that he is. He's been a good route runner. He's, you know, catching balls in traffic. I think he's going to be one of Flacco's primary targets moving forward this year. I mean, he's definitely going to be the red zone guy. I, I can see nine or or even ten plus touchdowns out of, uh, out of Crabtree this year. Willie Sneed, he's kind of the wild card for me. I don't know how much of Willie Sneed being good his rookie year was Willie Sneed or was it Drew Brees? Drew Brees is a darn good quarterback, and he's another one of those quarterbacks that can pretty much throw to anybody and make them better. Yeah. You know, he's he's on that level with an Aaron Rodgers, with a Tom Brady, where just give me anybody and I'll, and I'll throw it to him. So I haven't really seen a whole lot out of Sneed yet in training camp, not enough to get excited about him. John Brown, I think – I had a bigger question mark coming into this season with because the injury history and staying on the field. But what I've seen out of him in training camp is explosion. This guy has the ability to really take the top off of a defense. He has the ability to really create separation. And he's made some big connections with Flacco 
early on in training camp that's got me excited. I, I this this reminds me kind of Torrey Smith and his first couple of years being able to take the top off the defense and blow by defenders and and Flacco just kind of throwing it deep down the field and him being there. I can see a lot of that same type of production from John Brown. John Brown's a much better route runner than Torrey Smith, so it's an upgrade in that sense um, for Torrey uh, over Torrey. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much my take on on what's been going on these last couple of days in training camp. It's still training camp. Um, it's say still that. training camp. We've got the uh, the preseason game coming up Thursday night, uh, which I will be at. So if anybody uh, wants to meet up or, or say hi or have a beer, text me, send me a message, let me know. I'd be glad to. Um, and we'll be at training camp on Saturday. And we will be at training camp on Saturday. So same thing. If you guys are heading out to training camp and want to meet up, uh, send us a message, and we'd love to say hi. Uh, yeah, so I- I'm excited about what I saw. Um in training camp, not excited about what I saw in the first preseason game, but hold your horses. It's still preseason. It's still the preseason. So, <laughs> Well, speaking of things that we are somewhat impressed but not impressed by, we got to talk about the Orioles. Yeah. And that's why we labeled the segment, How's the Bird's Nest? Because really this isn't about the, the major leagues right now. Because to sum it up, same O's, same stuff. They're six and nine through the last fifteen games as of yesterday, since right. the All Star game. Yeah, um, nothing's changed. <laughs> uh, you know, to your point, our expectations are a little lower here. Yeah, <laughs> we really don't have much to look forward to. Uh, well, see that that for me. Because our expectations aren't as high as once were. I mean, look, when we went into this season, you and I were both pretty high on this Orioles team, considering that they ended up signing Kashner, they ended up signing Cobb, moves that the Orioles traditionally don't make. They don't spend money, especially that kind of money, on starting pitching. We all knew that this team could hit. We all knew that that was going to be the the non-question mark, was the hitting and the run production. We needed to get better pitching. Well, we addressed that, so we were excited about this club, and then the, the club just completely forgot how to hit. The one sure factor that we thought we had going into this this season was our biggest problem this season. So, like you like you said, we make the trades, we make everything happen that, that was supposed to happen and needed to happen. And for me, the expectations are lowered, so I'm finding watching this kind of fuzzled group of Orioles and whoever kind of they can put together a lineup and throw out there more interesting and more fun to watch than the frustrations of what we saw early on where you look at the lineup, you don't look at the stats, you just look at the lineup and you look at the names in your lineup and you're thinking that's a pretty good looking lineup. But then to, you know, the disappointment of not living up to that expectation was hard. Yeah, it was hard, but it's harder looking at some of these these guys that we got. I, I, I'm just going to – I mean, when you look at some of these guys that, that we got out of the street, Jonathan Villar is probably – you know, he's the major league player that we got out of the whole deal, or the, 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 the main major league player that has true major league experience. He's had 17 at-bats in the past four games that he's played in. He's hitting 471. Great. One homer, two RBIs, one strikeout. 
Okay, small sample size. Reminds but me of a Tim Beckham move from last yeah, year. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it's exactly what it looks like. Uh, but then you look at Yusniel Diaz, Double A Bowie, and this kid was this kid was the best prospect, literally, that we got. He was the highest rated prospect that we got through all of the trades. The kid's hitting two oh four in forty nine at bats through fourteen games, two oh four. Yeah, I mean, I know it's still a small sample size, but it's it's still forty nine at bats, and you're hitting two oh four with thirteen strikeouts. Thirteen. It's a small sample size, but even beyond that, the kid's a young kid. He could be putting added pressure on himself. You know, he was he was playing at the same level, double A baseball before he was traded here, and was in the futures game and just had a monster game in the futures game. He had two home runs. So right up until the trade deadline or tr- until the trade, he was doing well. I mean, he could just be putting added pressure on himself. He's, he's like you just said, think of, think of having to deal with all that pressure. You're the centerpiece of a, of a once in a generation type player in Manny Machado. You are that centerpiece, all the attention in Baltimore. Cause you're the main attraction. You're the main piece coming back from, from LA. So all the media, all the, the journalists, everybody wants to talk to you. You just went from the tenth level prospect in in, in Dodgers, you know, at the Dodgers uh, minor league system, there? to to the top one of the top <laughs> prospects here in Baltimore. Uh, so it's it's an added pressure, but no, I get what you're saying. Uh, you know, to your point, none of these guys other than Villar have have done well. You know, like you said, Diaz hitting two hundred four, Carmona hitting two twenty two. Um, you know, and some of the pitchers, some of them look good, some of them look bad. Here's here's kind of my take on it, right? So, and I've had a little while to digest this thing. We got a total of 15 prospects out of all the trades that we made. Total of 15 prospects. One legit major leaguer in Villar, like you said. But 10 of the remaining 14 that we got go immediately into the Orioles' top 30 prospects. That's sad. Well, yes, but you talk about low-level prospects. You know, we only got A guys and double-A guys. We didn't get anybody that was major league ready or major league ready within a year. So these are all guys that are still in the development, early in their development, single-A and double-A, and they already jump right into the top 30 in the Orioles' prospects. But hold on. because Hang on a sec. I get it. Most of them are still a ways away and we want to see instant like gratification out of this. We want to see this team turn the tide, but if you're a realist, you know that a rebuild takes at least three to four years, right? A rebuild doesn't happen overnight unless you're the Yankees and can just buy anything and everything. And that's not really a rebuild. That's just (laughs) putting something together out of, you know, out of whatever. But these, these trades did do a good job of rebuilding the foundation of the farm system. And with without a healthy and without a good farm system, you have nothing in a rebuild process. And to add 10 players to your top 30, that's, that's how I'm looking at this. I get it that Diaz was the only one, the only one prospect that we got in the MLB top 100 player list. It's the only one prospect that we got in the top 100 list that 
to me is a little bit of a red flag. And some of these, the moves, the Gosman move and the scope move, you can question some of the packages that they got back. I get that. But if you're just looking at it from a pure numbers game and potential, I think that they did okay on these trades. Just my opinion. What's your take? I'll, I'll completely disagree with you. And, and you. You made my point for me. These guys were not in the top 30. In, in For some of them, not all of them. But they were not in the top 30 in the organizations that they were in. Mm, the majority of them were in the top 30. The majority, not all, no. But now they're coming in and now almost all of them are in our top 30. Mm-hmm. What does that tell you about our organization? Oh no, I know. That's my point. Is, that's, is you can't you can't be saying this is the best of the worst because that's what it is. That's that is that is what it is what it is. You can't. We have one of the worst farm systems in Major League Baseball. Period. You look across the board. Everybody that rates farm systems has us in the bottom ten. Did it get better? You don't know. You if don't. You, just, you can't. If you just added ten players. It's not like you sub- ten players in your top thirty. You didn't subtract ten of your top thirty and then replace it with another ten thirty. You still have those ten guys that were in the top thirty to begin with in your minor league system. Now you just added ten more on top of those to fit into that top thirty. I'm not look. I'm, I I agree with you that we should have and probably could have gotten better deals and bundles for these players if we would have acted earlier. I think the the scope deal and the Gosman deal were kind of pressured deals and kind of last minute type deals to just try to get rid of them and dump salary and try to get as many prospects as they can. Maybe if they'd held off till the end of the season, who knows? They might have gotten better deals because they've gotten they might have gotten more offers from other teams. But I don't know. I'm just I'm not as disappointed with this turnaround as you seem to be. Oh, I, I, I'm, not. I'm completely disappointed with this because a rebuild is going and getting the pieces that you need for your future. Right. Okay. You have to have somebody. Let me ask you this. Who do you see in the next two years? Two years. And I'm, I'll say year and a half this year, and next year. Who do you see as the main guy that you can build a team around? So I'm going to preference this. I think Diaz is going to be the main guy out of what we have right now, right? Okay. Before any of these trades were made, Dan Duquette had his press conference, and we talked about this, and the biggest thing I thought that came out of that press conference was they're going to get back into the international market. In these trades, the untalked-about thing and the thing that kind of doesn't get enough value for what it's worth is the amount of money we got back in international slot money, international bonus money. So what we got for these players hasn't been totally figured out yet because if those dollars end up landing us a Victor Victor Mesa and his brother and some of the top-tiered prospects, Latino prospects, Venezuelan prospects out there, then it's it's well worth it because then you're looking at a possible Cedric Mullins, Yanel Diaz, and Victor Victor Mesa outfield for your future. 
Yes, it's probably still two to three years away from that being your everyday outfield, but that's a pretty impressive outfield that you can build around. I'm going to use Adam Jones' words as much as I don't want to. <laughs> you got to bring them up. If you're gonna if you're gonna make that your statement, these guys have to come up because how I many guys how many guys we've seen it in, in the Orioles organization, and that's why I'm 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 not impressed that we got three you know t- that we got ten guys or whatever the number is that come into our top thirty because it's our top thirty. It's not the top thirty in baseball. I it's still I, our I top that. thirty, and that's a problem because you 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 literally just took guys that were here and put them I, one I, guy back. I understand where you're going. I understand what you're saying. I just, we haven't seen the total return on these deals yet. No. Because the international money is going to mean more than what people think. And it, it does. But international money is also very dangerous. Because international money, Victor Victor Mesa is not going to sign. I hate to tell anybody that thinks otherwise. Victor Mesa is not going to sign a long-term deal with the Orioles. It's going to be a two-year deal. Max, max, I guarantee you. No internet. There's a reason that it's part of it is there's a reason guys don't want to come in. There is a reason Shohani Shohai Otani was made quoted as saying he would not come to Baltimore because one of the top places that was originally said was Baltimore. He said no. International signings don't want to come here and if they do they're not going to want to sign a longer term deal and if they it, i will i will be surprised if they do i'll be the first one to admit that i'm wrong if victor victor mesa signs more than a two-year deal i just don't see it i don't see a guy like that committing to an organization that's in the middle of a rebuild that has the history that the orioles do I don't know. He's still a young guy. There's still a lot of question marks around him. He's not going to be ready, major league ready day one. He's still going to have a year, probably maybe even two, a development at the minor league level before, no matter what team he goes to. So I don't know. I don't know if the Orioles sign him to a two-year deal. I don't know what he what he demands on the market. We'll see. But you you brought up Adam Jones, and he was one one piece that I thought we talked about it last week that I thought for sure would be traded for sure would waive his 10, five rights to go to a contending team. Um, if presented the opportunity to go to a contending team because of everything that we talked about, he, you know, had talked about wanting to win a ring and the importance of that. Uh, well, he recently did a podcast with CC Sabathia and, uh, was it R2 C2? Uh, it's R two C two is the, is the podcast. It's Ryan Russo from the Yes Network along right. with CC Sabathia. CC setting himself up for future after baseball is what he's doing here. So if you if you haven't had a chance to listen to the podcast, I tell you to go check it out. But we've got some clips for you, and, and one of the things main questions that they asked Adam was it a hard decision to not waive his ten five rights? And I thought his response is pretty interesting. Not really. Um... Uh, not, to be honest, not really. It was based, me and my wife talked about it, and my agent, we talked about the, the, every scenario that could possibly happen. And it was in my best interest, personally, to stay. Um, it's in the team's best interest, obviously, to get rid of salary and, you know, we know what they're going to do, but I've earned my right to say no. And I said, hell no. You're not going <laughs> to just tell me or stick me where you want me to go, and I'm not going to just do you a favor just because 
you want me to. Now, I signed a six-year contract. I'm going to honor that six years, and I'm going to stay until the end. But granted, there's another month, and um, <clears throat> with the August waiver wire, something could happen. There's a lot of trades that still happen at this time, but you can't come to me and ask me to waive my 10-5 rights a few days before the no-trade deadline. That's a dialogue that you could easily Was that the have. first time yeah. you all talked about it? Yeah. Before? Oh, okay, yeah. So you could, you could come to me early July and be like, hey, obviously the season ain't going where it's going. Um, would you be willing to waive it, you know, three or four weeks prior? You're asking me five days before, I, I got a wife and two kids. I ain't just uplifting just because you feel that way. And, and I think the big takeaway from those comments for me just goes back to how crappy this front office is and the way that the front office has been running. You know, he hit it kind of on the head for me. He's the most seasoned veteran on this team. He's earned his 10-5 rights. He's been here long enough for that. That, you know, any conversation surrounding this team, any potential changes to the future growth of this team, there should be a conversation with Adam Jones. Adam Jones is, again, the leader of the clubhouse, the leader of this team. And for them to come to him so late in the process – when we all, as media and, and people have been talking about this for months, the possibility of, you know, Adam Jones going to a contender and, and the Orioles getting a trade, you know, getting some prospects back for him, for them to come to him so late and finally ask him his feelings on that, his opinion on it, even if even if he had already in the back of his mind that that's probably the way it's going to go and that's probably what's going to happen, for them to come so late in the game and ask him, Kind of crappy, in my opinion. Listen, I, I agree outright, but I'm going to actually play devil's advocate here. I, I agree with you 100%. Let me just start with that. 100%. He has, he's earned his 10-5 rights. He's he's earned that ability to do that. And, you know, it, it's, it's something that happened back in 94, and he mentions later on in the interview. But for me, I'm going to play a devil's advocate for a second and say, I'm scratching my head if I'm in the front office. To that statement. And here's why. Did I really need to come to you when you were going to the media making statements about willing to waive the rights to play for a contender just three weeks prior? Do I really need to? Do I, I mean, yes, it's common courtesy. I get that. I get it. I'm just trying to it's play professionalism. I'm trying to play devil's advocate and saying it's also professionalism that he actually technically shouldn't be saying anything about the the scenario and shouldn't be saying anything. I, I don't know with whether there's repercussions for some of the statements that he's actually making or not, uh, whether it's on R2C2 or whether it was with Masson. Some of the it, – it has to do with some of the contracts and things like that and, and what he can and can't say. So, well, regardless of that uh- – this just goes no, no, to- not not regardless of that. You you can't say regardless of that when that's in his when that's in his contract. And I, if you're openly re- saying that, re- what I'm saying is regardless of that. This just if he's making these kind of statements in a podcast like this, this just goes to show his level of frustration with the front office. Oh, absolutely. He's willing to deal. You don't. Th- he's not stupid. He's not. He hasn't thought. He did not think this through and think that he was going to go no. on this podcast and not say something. He knew why he was going on this podcast, and he wanted to air the dirty laundry. He wanted to get out his feelings because he was upset. And you know oh, what? Yeah, if, no. if he he's willing to deal with the repercussions of whatever may come with that, whatever may be in his contract about saying things and not saying things and all that kind of stuff, he needed to get out his side of the story. And I think that that's what he did here. Again, playing devil's advocate, yeah, not like it. not not my feeling. I I try to, you know me. I yeah, I, I get no, and, and I get advocate. that. But 
But no, yeah, it's with, with Adam, you you have to look at that. Now, the, the I thought it was interesting his his comments when asked about actually going to Philly, since that was the team that was named. His statements regarding that, I thought, were quite ironic based on information that he had said previously. I just don't know if it fit me 100 percent gotcha i think that they have a great team no i think they got a great team great young team with a lot of energy they got some good vets with uh carlos santana and uh jake arietta to really push them two guys who've been in the playoffs i mean they faced each other in the world series two years ago Mm -hmm. um but i don't think it it fit me personally um i was probably going to go there to platoon and right field with uh, nick williams and be more of a mentor role i believe i got four years left of everyday baseball to play. Um, so it just didn't, the role didn't fit me personally. And if it didn't fit me, I have the right to say, mm, yeah. you know, yeah. that didn't, it's not going to work for me. And when I first heard this interview, I kind of thought like, what the heck? You know, he had a shot at going to a contender that had a way better shot of, of being in contention than anything that Baltimore is going to do. Yeah. It's literally like we talked about, it's an hour and a half up the road. Why wouldn't you go up there? But I almost I now that I've had more time to think about it, now that I have had more time to listen to it once, twice, three times. I get where he's saying if he truly thinks in his head that he has four years of everyday play still left in the tank, that he can be an everyday outfielder, whether that's right field, left field, center field, whatever his his mind's at, he thinks he's got four years left. If he accepts this deal and waves his 10-5 rights and goes to Philly and Philly uses him as a platoon guy, that's almost giving in and saying that I'm okay with taking on this role of being a platoon outfielder that I'm at that point in my career. And if he's really trying to get another three or four year contract, that three or four year contract is going to be substantially different for an everyday player than it's going to be for a, a player that's platooning. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, my only issue is, is I think that it, it comes down to you've been making statements yeah. about wanting to get a ring. And if platooning is your only way to get a ring right now, if you're wanting a ring this year or a shot at a ring this year and that's your only way and that was the only option a ring isn't what you cared about the most. And I'm, but, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But weigh, weigh it both ways, okay? So if I'm looking at it from Adam's standpoint, and, and a ring is still very important to me, it's either I have a shot, a one-year shot with this because I'm now accepting a platoon role and I'm getting a one-year shot at trying to win a ring now. Or I hold on to my pride and I stand my ground that I still have three or four years left of everyday play, I hit free agency next year, and I pick my team that I want to sign with that's interested in me, that gives me that best shot at winning a ring far better than Baltimore does, but I can sign a three- or four-year deal, so I'll get three or four chances and still be an everyday player versus taking on that platoon role, and then it getting out of Major League Baseball that Adam Jones is now a platoon player versus an everyday player. No, trust me, I get it. I, I, I again, it. I, I understand 100. percent Devil's advocate again here. Yeah. I mean, it's for 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 that statement. 
there are people out there that are that are viewing it exactly the way that I'm saying it and saying, "Oh yeah, no, I know." Then then don't make that statement. And I I mean I can kind of get that perspective to an extent. I, I agree with what you're saying exactly. I mean if he's if he's not comfortable with with that mindset and you aren't ready to go into that role, then then don't take it. Right. But to those people's point, at the same time, don't be running your mouth because that's exactly what he did. And I said that last week. Adam Jones has done a lot of running his mouth this year, more so in past years. Part of that, to your point, may be frustration from the front office and the, the way that things are getting handled. And we heard from Manny that supposedly Manny was clear on issues between the front office and ownership. Uh, but at the same time, y- you have to look and say, is that your best shot? Because you don't know where you're going to end up next year. You don't know what team's going to watch. No, no team wanted you as a rental, but who's going to want you as a full-time player? I get you that. don't. You don't know. The, the look at the and here's the example: J.D. Martinez in the offseason. Look at the type of player J.D. Martinez is, mm-hmm. and look how long it took him to get signed, and look at what he got signed for. He didn't get signed for anywhere near what was expected after last year's free agency market i'm sorry if it was me and i was in his shoes and i'm not in his shoes we're going to talk about that in a second i'm i'm saying let's go to philly it's not that far it's my best chance at a ring right now i get it if 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 really everything that he preached earlier on in the year about wanting to win a ring was the most single most important thing for him it wasn't extending his career another 3 or 4 years as an everyday player if that's the single most important thing to him hands down you wave your 105 rights you go to philadelphia and you do your thing but for me the jd team jd martinez just really quickly on that i think that had more to do with his agent than it had to do with the market I think his agent's trash, uh, but that's just my opinion. Uh, we've talked about him before. But one of the other things that I found was kind of interesting and, and one of the question marks I had uh, about this whole process for Adam, uh, and he, he got into this, was was there how was, how was it handled and was there any animosity between the Orioles and Adam or Adam and the Orioles? But if y'all had that conversation before, it could just have been talking through it and like these different scenarios, mm-hmm. probably would have been a different result. It'd been a different resolve, and I don't think there would have been any animosity on their side towards me. I don't have any animosity. I mean, I'm still happy as hell. Yeah, um, and I get they want to dump salaries. I get that, um, but you can't dump salary. I earned it. I earned every. I earned every single bit of no, the, the ten five. Yeah. And. You know, it was in my right. And there's a lot of people that don't agree with me. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I said this line yesterday. If you want to pay all my bills, I listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, shut the hell up. <laughs> Everybody want to offer opinions and all that stuff. You don't pay my bills. If you pay my, like I said. Pay him, I, sir. Yes, sir. But until then, shut the hell up. <laughs> Man, dick. Everybody has an opinion on the next guy's yeah, life that's what's while their life suck. Yeah. Or not say suck, but ain't fulfilling whatever they're supposed to be fulfilling. But they want to come and talk to a major league player. Like, I'm 33, very successful. You're in the next person in society aren't as successful, but they want to just dictate our lives and tell us what to do because we have social media, we watch you on TV, we pay your salary, all that kind of stuff. I'm so over when people say that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so over when people say that. So it's like, you know, these are these are the things that you worked hard for. These are things that people sat out for. These are things people got uh, colluded on for mm-hmm. for the simple reason that I can have that right. And 
And I went in there and thanked Wayne Kirby. He was on the picket fence back in the, uh, in 94. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I went in there and thanked him. Thank you for allowing me to be able to invoke a right that y'all fought for. Did you feel, because you just kind of said, did you feel animosity from Baltimore towards you for not accepting it, though? Yeah, a little bit. You know, I heard some of Duquette's comments, you know, and you know, I'm just like, okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, you can say what you want, but I earned it. Yeah. End of the day. And now, now like, like, we traded Scope, we traded Manny, we traded Brock, Britton. You guys got Britton here. I mean, those good guys. Too. I'm these, oh, Britton's awesome. Yeah, he's Britton's awesome. Britton's good people. Shows up ready to pitch. Um, but they ain't got no rights. They didn't have, they didn't have the. They weren't they, 10 and 5. They guys. weren't. Yeah. They weren't. So, like, look at Joe Maurer. He's a 10 5 guy. Beltre, he's not waving his rights. They're not mm-hmm. winning right now, but he's not waving his rights. Why? He's comfortable. Yeah, for for me, this this whole piece, I, I thought it was quite interesting. He said there's no hard feelings. And if you listen to the to the whole podcast, I didn't get that feeling. I felt like he had some animosity to say. And that's he wouldn't the, be doing the podcast if he didn't. He wouldn't be airing the dirty laundry if he didn't. Exactly. And, you know, I, I do think there's probably some animosity on the Orioles' part. I, I, I absolutely do. But I think his animosity, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again, I think during the process, and he's not saying it, I, in part probably because he, he didn't ask, and I know that that definitely can't he, he can't comment on it. As far as saying, am I going to get a contract next year if I come if you know if I do this, do I get a contract next year? I think I think Dan after hearing this interview, I think Dan told him. No. Well, I, whether they had that conversation directly or not, I mean, there's been interviews with Dan about Adam recently, even before all this, where they asked, you know, if if Adam was in the future plans, you know, was he going to be the, the centerpiece around this rebuild process? And without saying no, his answer was, we are getting younger. And read that as you may, take that as you may. To me, that just that that to me says no. That to me says Adam Jones is not part of the future. Yeah, it absolutely said no. But it goes back to again what we talked about earlier. This is a front office botched job on my in my opinion, not coming to Adam earlier about this. Um, and, and like Adam said, you know, it, it it's not talking about coming to him in April about it, but even coming to him early in July before the All Star break everybody in Baltimore knew this team was out of it well before the all-star break. So it's not like it was breaking news to them at the all-star break. Holy crap. We're we suck. They knew that prior. So they knew there had to have been a plan in place. And at least some pieces were going to be traded. And Adam probably would be one of them. Why not have that conversation with him? You knew where you stood coming out of May, right? Exactly. So why not? Take that conversation. I, I can remember um, was a couple years ago. There they made a big deal about um, Nick Markakis going to dinner with Peter Angelos and talking about the 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 Orioles' plans and future and you know the growth of the team and all that stuff. And I thought that was cool. I thought that you know because at that time it was clear cut that Nick Markakis was the leader in the clubhouse. Oh, absolutely. And for the ownership to kind of say, hey. We're going in a different direction. This is where we're going. And you as the leader of this clubhouse, we want you to know that. We want you to be a part of this. Adam should have been treated with that same respect, and he wasn't. That we know of. According I, to him, he wasn't. I, I don't know. And that's the thing is is it's it's hard to – with some of the statements that Adam has made, mm-hmm. I believe him. 
With some of them, I, I question. I'm not sure. You know, the, the whole attitude, it gave me, uh, and this is kind of going off topic from where we originally were wanting to go with this, but I, I feel like it's got to be brought up. His comment about he's tired of hearing fans say, I pay your salary. Listen, you're a Major League Baseball player. I get it. You make a ton of money. I get it. But you aren't making money if butts aren't in the seat. If butts aren't in the seat, Angelos isn't able to give you that extension that he gave you a few years back. If butts aren't in the seat, guess what? Orioles could be filing for bankruptcy and going, we can't pay the rest of your salary the rest of the year. I understand that, but to play the other side of that is just because you bought tickets, just because you went to an Orioles game, doesn't give you the right to say anything and everything that you want to say. You know, there's no. Yeah, I get that. And, and, and that's the problem is they, there are just a lot of uneducated people out there, a lot of uneducated fans and a lot of trollers on social media and that kind of thing that say things just to start a fight. Yep. Say things to just get headlines, say things to just get retweets and things of that nature. And Adam, I'm sure he gets it all the time because he's a very active person on social media. He's. He's vocal. He's very vocal on social media. He's on it a lot. Uh, and because he responds to the fans, that opens up the door for all those trollers to come in and, and, and bombard him. Yeah. With no, that absolutely. Kind of nonsense. So I, I understand. But I felt that I, here, here's my perspective on that. There are some fans that are educated like us. Yeah. And I'll be honest, my response would be me going to a game. My dad having gotten season tickets back in 92 mm-hmm. has paid for you to be able to play this game for the Baltimore Orioles. Oh, and yeah. I appreciate you playing this game the way that you have. You've learned a lot. When I first saw Adam Jones, I wasn't happy. My- first thing my dad and I picked apart was his first step was in every time. His footwork in the outfield wasn't there. And then over years, he's- he, got- he got better. He got smarter. He learned you know, to not be that young, cocky kid right? and to be that veteran leader and to go through. I have a lot of respect and I tip my, my cap to Adam Jones. But you can't lump all fans into one. And while he didn't do that per se, I feel like that statement did because I would make that statement personally. Personally, right. I would say, look, dude, I, you're, you're, you're affecting my team. You're affecting the team that I watch. Now, yes, I don't have any financial and fiscal responsibility to the team. Right. But I do have a financial role right. in the team. Because if I don't get season tickets, maybe they aren't able to offer and, and, a I guy I don't, a, I don't think that his, kind of stuff. I don't think his statement was saying, well, it's not true that you know you season no, ticket I think he's tired of hearing it, like you said, with the trollers it, and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I just think that people get behind phones and become cyber bullies and you know say things that are just talking out their rear ends. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think he's just tired of hearing that. But I can't blame him to an extent. Yeah. It's about that time, I think uh, we'll move on to the two-minute warning. Uh, for this week. And now, it's time 
two-minute warning. All right, Fred. It is your turn for the two-minute warning this week. I don't have the audio, but there's no blowing your loads this week. You got me? <laughs> I'll try not Facebook, to. Facebook, YouTube, don't let them down. If you haven't watched it, it was episode 53, by the way. It's about uh, it's it's about three minutes before the end of the show. He he, he talks about blowing his load. Uh, so don't let him live it down. Remember that. I will get the audio at some point. He's been, he has, he's been purposely not reminding me on this yeah, audio. No, it's definitely not the first but thing I'm going to talk to you about. It, it's, it, is your, it is your turn this week, and you have to promise... And I know you're not gonna you're not gonna keep this promise. No morbidity this week. <laughs> yeah, all right. I'll try not to finish this one off with any kind of morbid <laughs> stuff. Maybe I'll throw that in in the beginning. We'll change it up. Really? All right. Whatever. <laughs> Here we go. Ready, Fred? Your two minute warning starts right now. All right. So, thirteen North Carolina Tar Heel football players have been suspended for selling school issued Jordans, which ends up being a secondary NCAA violation. All players involved, including quarterback Chaz Charette, are to be suspended by UNC for one game. Here's the morbidity. Michigan's coach, John Lane had successful heart surgery Monday morning, ended up having to have a double bypass, and is expected to make a full recovery in the next few weeks, me being an Ohio State fan. I'm pulling for this guy. Hopefully he recovers fully. Uh, Jarvis Landry has come forward and stated that he has been lobbying for the Browns to trade for his good friend, Odell Beckham Jr. Landry's quoted as saying that OBJ is definitely open to playing in Cleveland. will be interesting to see those two together. Jags quarterback Blake Bortles say is pain-free and excited for this season. Bortles has been dealing with wrist pain since having surgery in the 2016 offseason. Uh, hopefully he's not throwing too many passes down there. I think he's better off as a game manager. Yeah. Keeping with NFL quarterbacks, Jets head coach Todd Bowles is not naming his week one starter yet and wants to get through preseasons before announcing. Many say that rookie Sam Darnold is ahead of schedule and could challenge for the role, while others feel that veteran Josh McCown will take charge and take the role. Oh, and then there's Teddy Bridgewater, who is thankful for the Jets giving him a chance and maybe looking to be a big impression in uh, preseason. Might be a trade bait later on. We'll see. An article on Sporting News came out today ranking the farm system of all 31 NHL teams. Caps are ranked 29th, mainly due to the fact that 11 of Hershey's top 13 scorers from last year are older than 24. Not a lot of youth there. Maybe some mid-year trades to try to bolster up the young guys there in, in Washington. A ruling today in the WNBA decided that Las Vegas will forfeit its game canceled against Washington. Game was canceled when the Vegas players decided not to play due to health and safety concerns after a 26 hours of travel. It's a lot of travel. It's a hell of a lot of travel. <laughs> you not want to be. You ever been in a plane for anything longer than like a three or four hour flight? It's awful. Yeah. Awful. I went to Dallas and then went from Dallas to Hawaii. <sighs> yeah, it's terrible. It was horrible. I was going to Hawaii. It was horrible. <laughs> horrible flight, people. Uh, horrible flight. Don't ever go to Hawaii. Don't ever do it. Don't ever do it. One other thing that I wanted to bring up before we, we get off of here. Uh, we mentioned it, and we have it kind of in our outline. that uh, We the Browns. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about the Cleveland Browns. First of all, tonight on HBO, it started probably about 20 minutes ago at 10 o'clock. Hard Knocks training camp with the Cleveland Browns kicks off. 
Um, for me, I'm kind of excited for this. I've always been a big Hard Knocks fan. It gives you kind of an inside look um, at the rebuild process going on in Cleveland and uh, how the rookies develop. And, you know, I'm kind of interested to see Baker Mayfield has quite the personality. So I'm sure that'll probably be a, a pretty entertaining piece. Do you watch Hard Knocks? Are you a fan? It's been a while since I've watched I've watched an episode, but I, I did. I was curious when they, they came out that they were going to be with the Browns because of the fact that what everything the Browns have done. Yeah. Any other year, if it had been a Browns, I'd have been like, what wh- the Browns, what are you doing? Are you, are yeah. you trying to tank HBO? What yeah, are you trying HBO to do? HBO is pulling its straws here, trying to get somebody to sign up for this thing. But no, I, I agree. I think that this is the one year that the Browns actually have some appeal. Yeah, and- no, you, you have to, you have to look at it and say like, this is the, <laughs> this is the only year. This is your, <laughs> this your best shot of, of having a Brown successful hard knocks episode. Now, as much kudos as we've been giving the Browns and as much positive that we've been talking over the past few weeks. There's the been Browns, a lot of testing positive. Yeah, there's been a lot of testing positive. <laughs> we will say that. that uh, uh, yeah, so as much positivity today and the past couple of days has been more of a real Browns reality check that they are still the Cleveland Browns. So every time you want to give them kudos, you have to kind of like hold off because you know something dramatic or something (laughs) disaster like is about to happen and and it didn't disappoint. So the first thing that was kind of a head scratcher to me is, is the Browns decided to trade wide receiver Corey Coleman to Buffalo and, and not just trading him to Buffalo, but only getting a seventh round pick in return for this guy. This is a guy that they drafted ahead of Michael Coleman in their draft. You mean Michael Thomas. I'm sorry, Michael Thomas, yeah, in the draft a few years ago. Now, look, I'm, he's, not, he's not on the same level as Michael Thomas or anything like that, but Coleman has had some really good games against the Ravens in the past. I haven't seen enough of him to know how he plays week in and week out. But that wide receiver core looked pretty solid when you're talking Jarvis Landry, you're talking Josh Gordon, and you're talking Corey Coleman. Looked pretty good. So, of course, now all the rumors start that, well, they must be making a roster spot and making room for Des Bryant. OBJ. Um, possibly an OBJ trade. I, I don't know if the, the, the Giants are, are open to doing that yet. Uh, there's there's all these rumors being floated around, but so not to only you only get a seventh round pick in return for him, but you've got a big question mark at your number two wide receiver in Josh Gordon, who just can't stay in the NFL and he can't stay off the weed. That guy, he's got problems, and in comes the weed today. As rookie wide receiver Antonio Callaway was cited for marijuana possession, you said it right. You better hope Gordon's not involved in this anyway. Or right. supplying him he, or whatever. Josh Gordon, long away from this rookie wide receiver out of Florida. I, I I don't know what's going on in Cleveland. Maybe they grow really good marijuana out there. I have no idea. It's <laughs> but. You, you've got, like I said, you've got a big question mark in Josh Gordon. You just lost your rookie wide receiver, um, probably to some sort of suspension at some point, you know, being cited for, for the marijuana. Yeah. Uh, and you trade away a young, up-and-coming, kind of promising wide receiver in Corey Coleman for next to nothing in return. It baffles you. I it just ba- don't get it. 
I really don't. You know, I got into a, a debate with somebody on Twitter today about Corey Coleman, somebody who I guess has seen a little bit more of him than I have. And out, he basically his his argument was outside of the couple of games against the Ravens where he's played well, he hasn't really done a whole lot, that he's got some problems with his hands and things of that nature. I don't know. Maybe there are there there's a Brashad Perryman in him that I just never I never saw. I mean, like I said, against right. the Ravens, he always looked pretty good to me. Um obviously the Buffalo Bills saw something in him. Uh, you know, they wouldn't have made the trade if they didn't. Uh I don't know. Kind of a head scratcher. Even if they go out and they sign Des Bryant, I don't see Des Bryant signing a multi year deal with Cleveland. I mean, he's already stated the whole reason he didn't sign the multi-year deal with the Ravens was because he wanted to sign a one-year prove-it kind of deal where he could next year hit a bigger, you know, bigger contract, that kind of thing, based on his production. So you have a question mark in Josh Gordon. You bring in a one-year deal for Des Bryant at number three and two, you know, wherever you put them and however you rank them, and then you get rid of Coleman. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I don't. I don't get it. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. It's. It's something that, like you said, head scratching doesn't even begin to to s- describe what's going on there and what their thought process is. They've got to be clearing room for something. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. And but but why in that clearing room for something? Why would you take a seventh round pick for that guy? I mean, I think you can at least get a fourth out of him. Yeah, at least that's that's kind of what I was saying too. Somebody threw out there that you should at least get a second round. You weren't going to get a second rounder for this guy, but no, not out of him. If you could have at least gotten a fourth or fifth rounder uh, out of that deal, I think I'd have been a little bit happier with that. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. It was a good show today. A good show, yeah. I think we Lots might have had some uh, some Facebook troubles there. We might have had a uh, separation in the broadcast. I think uh, our internet stream went down. Hopefully everything stayed live on YouTube. So we appreciate you guys coming back on the Facebook feed, and we appreciate you guys staying tuned in on YouTube for the entire podcast. Yeah, guys. Be, be sure to check us out on the web at www.birdlandbs.com. Check out everything there. We've got gear up there. Uh, we're going to have some new additions on there soon. So definitely, you know, be, be on the lookout for that. Uh, it also is a source for all of the podcasts. Uh, follow us on all of our social network sites, Twitter, at BirdlandBS, uh, at FredBirdlandBS, at ScottBirdlandBS. Uh, you can hit us up individually, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. If you're on one, go to the other. Share, uh, comment, message us. We want to hear from you. Uh, if you want to listen to the audio podcast on the go while you're on your drive to and from work, getting your grind on at the gym uh you can find us on itunes apple podcasts google podcasts spotify podbean the TuneIn app and stitcher so be sure to look us up and subscribe to the podcast of your choice that you love thanks for tuning in as always and we will be back next tuesday night for birdland bs i'm scott i'm fred see you guys we'll see you